702. The Naked Scientist. Time for the Naked Scientist. Dr. Chris Smith is in the building. We take your science related questions on O double one double eight three O seven O two and the WhatsApp line O seven two seven O two one seven O two. Dr. Chris, happy Monday. How are you doing? Well, I should also say happy Christmas as well, yes. because by the next time we talk, it's going to be 2024, I think. Oh, my it? goodness, that is the case. Indeed, it will be Merry Christmas. Earlier on, we're speaking about me not having a tree. I've been told I must give my child to somebody who wants to have a child because I don't have a tree up yet. <laughs> when are trees oh, supposed to go strange. up? <laughs> you misery. Well, um, in some people's houses, they, they're, I mean, look at the shops. The shops, well, maybe you haven't looked at the shops. Some of the shops in the UK were, were already putting Christmas decorations up in November. Oh, now, no. It used to be the beginning of December, and I think it's getting earlier and earlier. It's going to be July, isn't it? But I think most people begin to feel festive at the beginning of December. So I reckon for the, for the benefit of the kids and your poor kids, who are they going to end up in care at this rate? Yeah. They, they need a Christmas tree <laughs> and they need their Christmas tree from the beginning of December. Okay, okay. And I think I'll, I will get it together. I mean, he's too, I just kind of was like, I think I've told myself I have more time, but let me get it together. I still have to, I already have a caller who has offered me a Christmas tree saying like, please, there's no grandkids coming by our house. We've got a Christmas tree for you. All right. So, uh, let well, us. Well, don't do what my wife did, right? Which was, well, I, I made a radio program a couple of years ago about Christmas trees and real Christmas trees and growing Christmas mm. trees. And I went to a local supplier who gets their Christmas trees grown locally and then brings them to where people oh, wow. go buy them. And he had one left in the store, one. And he said, would you want one? And I said, well, I, okay, how much is that one? And he gave me a really good price on this Christmas tree. And uh, and I said, well, will you deliver it, though? And he said, okay, because it was quite big and I didn't have a yes. car big enough for that at the time. So he said, fine, we'll drop it off. He then caught COVID, so he couldn't come to work to bring this Christmas tree. So it got to Christmas Eve. And we're saying, where's our Christmas tree? So um, my wife said, I'll go and get it, because she's got a big car. She goes and gets this Christmas tree and leaves it in the in the car for a while while we were sorting other things out i then get this christmas tree i chop the bottom off we we put it up in the house looks great within a few weeks things start to go wrong with her car in a really big way oh, like no. the electrics start to fail what? and other weird stuff starts going on and then we realize we have a rodent infestation oh, no! and what had happened oh. this christmas tree which had been parked in the outside in this shop they'd had it in their yard, had obviously become home to a family of rats. Oh, <laughs> no! They had moved oh, no! The <laughs> and when she put it in her car, they then thought, this is nice. It's a mobile dustbin. It's all warm. There's loads of food and discarded crap because the children have been dropping crumbs and everything. The rats all vacated the premises and took up residence in the car. And then oh. when the food ran out in the car, they started eating the wiring loom. And this is a pretty new car. And when she took it to the garage, they, they said, what on earth has happened to this? And they had to rewire the entire car. So the moral of this story is if you get a Christmas tree, go in a bucky and pick it up. Do not put it inside your car. Firstly, I am so traumatized. My skin is crawling. <laughs> I just, I cannot stand. Oh, that is the most, oh, I would cancel I did Christmas. Catch the rats. I did. I, I was setting a rat trap. Was Every it a family with a children and everything? Yes. Oh, oh, no. Yes, oh, it was. I caught, I caught uh, five or six rats in her no! car. No! Two big ones and uh, the babies. 
Oh, the rest, please I think, stop. probably I just realised their oh. number was up and disappeared. So the moral of this story is do not put your Christmas tree in your car if you're not absolutely sure it hasn't got oh. the rat family living that in it. That is so just... Oh, <laughs> I just can't. Oh, I'm so creeped out. That is... Oh, no. Oh, no. Guys, I can't. This is why I don't have a Christmas tree. <laughs> I knew there was a reason. All right, let's get to all of your science-related questions on 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702 while I think about candy floss and marshmallows because my, my system is unsettled and I'm shutting. Something is happening to my body. Like <laughs> Dr. Christmas, you've messed with my mind. Okay, the first question coming through from Johnny in Harangua. Who says, as a water harvester, I would like to know if the water emitted by automobiles and house air conditioners is conducive for human, plant or animal consumption. It is nicely cool, clean looking, appetizing and tantalizing on a hot summer day like this. Well, first of all, let's think about vehicle exhausts, because the reason vehicle exhausts do put out water, unless they're running on hydrogen, which is very, very rare, and in which case it will be almost pure water with some oxides of nitrogen there and some of those will be dissolved so there'll be a bit of nitrous and nitric acid in it but put that to one side most hydrocarbon vehicles they're going to be spitting out exhaust fumes which are a mixture of carbon dioxide some particulates carbon monoxide and you've guessed it a lot of water which is why on a cold day when you start your engine you see steam coming out of the exhaust pipe because the hot gas coming out then hits the cold air behind the car and it condenses into droplets of water now that would be if it was purely just the water be absolutely fine because water is water but there are other things in the exhaust partially burned hydrocarbons the particulates and those are not so good for you so you should not collect the water from the back of a vehicle and use that because it will poison you because of the other things that are in there the exception is if there are very very good scrubbers filters and catalysts on there which have stripped out a lot of that stuff, in which case it may be clean enough and you might better scavenge it back, but I wouldn't try that. On the International Space Station, they do recirculate and reharvest and recapture all their water because water is a precious commodity. So they do do things like that, but they don't have a nasty diesel exhaust belching out smoke for them to do it with. So probably that's not a good source. Air conditioning units. The reason they are spitting out water is that air is humid, especially places like Joburg, it's pretty humid on a hot day. When you pull the hot air through the air conditioning unit to cool it, because there's water in there, when you drop the temperature of air, the amount of moisture that warm air can carry is greater than cold air. So therefore, the water has to leave the air and it condenses from being a vapour into droplets of water. They collect inside the air conditioning unit and they run out of a condensing tube which drips into a drain or into a sink or something. And you, that's why you see them dripping. That's the water that's condensed as the hot air full of water has gone through the cooling and then been spat out as cooler, drier air into the room. That's the water that was in the air. If you're on an aeroplane, for example, everyone breathing, each of us breathes out half a litre of water every day. In, into the environment, which is why aircraft have to do this to keep the air from becoming completely saturated when you're in there. Same in buildings and theatres and so on. Now that moisture is in theory clean, but the problem is it's what else might be growing inside the air conditioner. And there are microorganisms that love the environment that's warm, damp, 
and therefore also dusty and full of bits of us which they can thrive on and they make a biofilm, a layer of microbes inside the conduits, inside the air conditioning unit and sometimes they can be nasties like Legionnaire's disease, Legionella, Legionella pneumophila, a bacterium that can cause quite severe infection. So I would be cautious about going near the air conditioning unit as a source of water because there may well be microbes in there that you don't want to get into your body. So the best thing is to eat, you know, there's an old saying when you're picking up food somewhere, peel it, boil it or leave it. Well, if you could get that water, make sure it didn't have a hydrocarbons and other muck in it, other heavy metals, anything like that, and boil it, it would probably be okay, but I would issue those sources, to be perfectly honest with you, and I'd just go and find a tap and get some water out of there and then boil that. It's probably going to be better for you. Yeah, sounds definitely way too risky to go the other route. Uh, more of the questions on the WhatsApp line. Annie is asking, can coffee boost your longevity? Well, there are umpteen studies that are looking at the effects on health and lifespan of day-to-day -day living. People who drink lots of tea, people who don't drink lots of tea, people who drink coffee, people who don't drink lots of coffee. The data are mixed and there are both positives and negatives, but there's no evidence of any health harm and people who've lived to be a very ripe old age have drunk gallons and gallons of tea and coffee over their lifetime. So we don't think that these things carry a health harm. Do they have a health benefit? Well, people who are hooked on coffee like me would argue that life's not worth living without it. So in that respect, yes. But do they actually make you live longer? I'm not sure. I don't think there's any compelling evidence that life without coffee is, is uh, going to be shorter. All right. And then we've got a question coming through from Tabor. Um, is the flag still on the moon, the flag that was planted during the first moon landing? Well, astronauts in 2025, if plans go to plan, should be able to tell us for themselves because we're going back. In fact, in 2024, researchers um, and NASA plan got an, a series of orbits of the moon planned. This is the Artemis II mission. And if things do come good and the funding does then in 2025 you will see a team on the surface of the moon. So they will be able to tell us that there is a flag there. But the answer is yes. Um, everything that was taken to the moon as part of the Apollo sequence of missions is still there from the 1960s and 70s. And that includes the flag planted there. There's a famous headline in the newspaper, footsteps that no wind has ever blown away. And there are literally the footsteps put down there by Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, back in, back in the Apollo program. So, um, yes, those things are all still there alongside a mirror that's on the moon by the Apollo astronauts. Not because they liked looking at their own reflection, but because we are using that to beam a laser and bounce a laser off the surface of the moon and back to Earth regularly. And that's how we know the moon is moving two centimetres further away from the Earth every year. Uh, because we're giving the moon energy from the spin of the Earth and that's flinging the moon slightly farther away from the Earth every year. And so that's there as well. All right. Thank you so much, Stan, for, uh, sorry, Tabo, for that question. Um, Stan asks, why do we itch? Scientists have been scratching their heads about this, and I want to know why. <laughs> Everyone listening to the radio will now listen to this answer, and they will similarly feel the urge to start scratching because I've whenever been we start talking about since it, the rats. we start itching. I've been yep. scratching oh, since I'm the sorry rats. About that. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, we do understand a bit more about the science of itch now, and it's quite complicated, but we know that it's a multiple series of links in a chain that make us itch. The skin has chemicals in it 
locked up inside cells, including the chemical histamine, which is in cells called mast cells, which when released makes you itch. It makes you itch because it activates nerve fibres in the surface of the skin or whichever part of the body the histamine is being released into. And those nerve fibres run back to the spinal cord where they talk to a specific set of nerve circuits which uniquely and exclusively signal itch. So you know where on the surface of the body you're getting sensation from. This is paired through a separate circuit with the itch signal, so when the two inputs to the spinal cord are active together, the brain knows this bit of the body is irritated and it's itchy because these nerves are turned on. And scientists have worked out what the nerve messages are, what the chemicals are that the nerves are using to convey these itch signals, and it is possible to block them. So one possibility is that as well as taking antihistamines to stop the release of histamine and, and the effects of the release of histamine in the first place, because histamine facilitates its own release as well. So once you've got the snowball rolling down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, which is why you can have problems like anaphylaxis. Antihistamines can do only so much, but if you can also block the, the nerve signals going into the spinal cord saying, I itch, that can also help. It's difficult getting signals specifically into the, or, or, or things that can block these signals into the spinal cord, so we can't turn it off yet, but by understanding more about the nerve pathways involved, it will be possible in the future to manipulate them more. But you don't want to rob yourself of it, the itch sensation because it's useful. And the reason we have evolved to have the ability to itch and specifically have itchy skin is because this, this is there, almost like a burglar alarm, to alert you to the fact that something is trying to break in and invade the premises, whether that's a parasite trying to crawl through your skin, a mosquito trying to invade through the skin to drink blood and, and infect you with nasty diseases in the process. It's really useful having the itch sensation. Blocking it might lead to more harm and you might end up with the pill being worse than the ill but in people who have to deal with chronic itch like poor people with eczema or atopic dermatitis it can be a lifesaver if we can sort this one out all right thank you so much uh, for that question and then susan asks which planet has no moon um right let me think about this um i don't think mercury has a moon um Earth has definitely got a moon, it's a big one, but it's slightly unusual because we made our moon by running ourselves into another planet about four and a half billion years ago, which caused a big splat in space, which made our moon. Mars has got a couple of very small moons. Uh, Jupiter has got lots of moons, as has Saturn. Uh, some of the other ones, Pluto's even got moons. Pluto's got uh, Charon, one of its moons, and some other objects around it. So I think Mercury may be devoid of a moon, but I'll have to check. Don't take my word for it. If anyone knows, most kids know a lot of space science and about planets and things. So if I'm wrong, tell me, tell me that I'm wrong. But I think Mercury is moonless. And then for the first time, Dr. Chris Smith, two people on the WhatsApp line asking the same question. KK from Pretoria, as well as uh, Oliver in four ways. So Oliver says, please ask Dr. Chris for me, why mosquitoes always bite me alone when I'm with others and never bite them? Does it have to do with my blood type? And KK in Pretoria says, Dr. Chris, do mosquitoes prefer a certain blood type? What is the blood type they prefer? And why specifically that blood type? reason I'm asking is that my mother never gets mosquito bites, but the rest of the family mosquitoes always have a house party every night. <laughs> some people it's the in the season. population it's are, the season. <laughs> yes, some people are mosquito magnets and they, we think, produce a cocktail of smells and aromas that are A, attractive and B, less repellent 
to mosquitoes, while other people produce a cocktail of smells from their body which are less attractive and more repellent to mosquitoes because we know that mosquitoes are both attracted and repelled by different types of smells. When you have a mosquito repellent that you spray onto yourself, you are adding molecules that not just mask what you do smell like to the mosquito, they also actively make the mosquito want to fly away because it doesn't like the smell. And mosquitoes don't have noses, they have antennae and those antennae are covered in fine sprays of nerve endings which have chemical docking stations on them that can pick up the molecules that are in the air and the way they find us is they're sensitive to heat so they look for a warm source of heat uh, and that means they also are sensitive to chemicals like carbon dioxide they can smell our breath and so they home in on you in in the bedroom when you're sleeping because you're producing co2 and the co2 gets stronger in terms of its concentration closer to you so they fly around working out where the source of co2 is and as they get even closer they begin to encounter other molecules that we produce both on our breath but also oozing out of our skin mm. and these molecules also bind onto the antennae of the mosquito some of them tell the mosquito yep you're close to a, a possible uh, food source and it smells pretty good but other molecules tell the mosquito, mm, this doesn't smell so good, go away. And some people are lucky enough to be blessed with more of the latter, less of the former, while others are very, very attractive to mosquitoes. And it does appear to be all down to these volatile chemicals. The research project run at Rothamsted Research in the UK about 20 years ago, it was going on by John Pickett, if you want to look him up. And they were doing experiments where they would actually put people into enclosed environments and draw off all the vapors coming off of them mm. and then you throw these vapors back at the mosquitoes in it you you do a maze experiment where you've got a tube a bit like a letter y and you throw some smells down one arm of the y and other smells down the other and you see which arm of the letter y tube the mosquitoes prefer mm. and then you can work this out and that's how they did those experiments very very interesting and i'm sure this question will keep coming up dr chris smith Thank you so much for just a fantastic 20... Christmas, everyone. Look forward to seeing you in 20...